All right, so let me start by saying it's not awesome to go from being, you know, full full bodied up here in the pews to now having to revert back to, you know, specific numbers. So thank you, coronavirus. Um, but good morning to all of you that are able to be here, and good morning to the people online. Good morning to the people uh, in other in other areas um, as we as we reflect today. Um, thank you for being here. So. As I said, we're here one more time this month to talk about our stewardship. Uh, what does it mean to manage and handle and, and specifically to use the blessings that we have and what God gives us uh, in a righteous and biblical way? And how can, we meaningfully, how can we meaningfully give what we have to those major areas of influence in each of our lives? And we're talking about our family. We're talking about our, our friends uh, relationships, and we're talking about today uh, our our church. So the biological, the relational, and the covenantal communities that we are all a part of. As we've been talking about, and as I mentioned, God blesses each of us. He entrusts each of us. He enables each of us and gives us each a role of 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 a steward in what it is that we have. And we're called to use those things and to pounce on the opportunities we have and that are placed in front of us in each of those communities that we're a part of. We're, we're called to interact within those communities in a meaningful way with, with what it is that we have. And, of course, that means the, the whole spectrum of things. That means, of course, with our finances. But that also means with you know, skills that we have, talents we have, time that we have, uh, you know, what we can give of ourselves in the, in the full spectrum of who, um, who God made us to be and what God um, just bestows on us in, in terms of blessing. So with that, uh, it should go without saying, we've already spent some time on the, the, the latter two. We've spent some time talking about and reflecting on um, how we can be meaningfully uh, involved in giving and providing for um, the biological unit, the, the family, and also um, the relational community, so, you know, friends. Um, but today we're talking about the, the third one, so the covenantal, covenantal community. What does it mean to be good stewards of what we have um, when it comes to this body, when it comes to the church at large, when it comes to how we interact with God's people? That's what we're talking about today. You and me and her and him and so on and so forth. Uh, how can we direct the inpouring of blessings for the benefit uh, of the body of believers, both near and far. What does that look like? What example do we have, uh, and what example can we follow, and how can we each be doing better? How can we do better individually in that calling, and how can we do better um, as, a, as a body in that calling toward the, the greater body of believers? So before we begin, though, uh, you know, I recognize that much of what we've been talking about this year is through this... this um, through this context, right? How we go about addressing this very topic in terms of using what we have and changing the way we think and, and, and serving the body, right? I recognize that. Um, having a full and complete understanding of our blessings and implementing that understanding in a more godly way um, would and should uh, consistently bring you back to the issue of how you can better uh, practice that renewed understanding within the body that you're placed in. And we've spent time throughout the year um, talking about that through different 
angles and aspects in terms of um, what we sacrifice and what we're blessed with and how we, how we speak into that. And so I won't pretend like um, this final week here that I have um, will be like a totally new, uh, a new idea for you guys or, you know, totally new concepts. But um, hopefully there's, there's one or two things in today's message that you can um, extract and you can implement and you can consider and mull over as you think about what it is that you have and what it is that you can be giving um, with what you have uh, in, the, in the local body and in the greater community of, of believers in this covenantal community that you're in. So my, uh, my appeal to you this week is, is to really just think about these things on the relational level that we are called into um, as, as people. Really think about the people you know and see here. Like, think about it on an intimate level, you know, as, as, as we're talking about these, as we're listening to these things today and as we're talking about it in cell groups, think about the people that you are around and surrounded with in this body as we, as we talk about how it is we can provide and give to, to those people and lift them up and provide for their needs. And, and think about the people you know in other, um, other, other churches, other bodies, and how it is that we can, as individuals and as a church, speak into, provide, meet the needs of those people as well, because scripture um, speaks to all of it. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> so with that, um, just again, as a reminder, James obviously spent the last month in uh, October um, talking about um, the, so remember Crib, first of all, Crib was um, the covenantal relational, um, the the biological and I'm forgetting the the I, but it has to do with your relationship infinite infinite uh, it has to do with your relationship with God. So James spoke about tithes and offerings. He spoke into um, how we invest what we have and, and what we can um, to and how it speaks to our intimate relationship with God and um, how we offer and what we tithe is a reflection of how you view and how you treat your relationship with God. It's one aspect of that. So um, once more, we're talking about things this month in the context of our intimate relationships with the communities, um, with people that God gives us to practice our faith. Um, the space we're given to work out what we have in abundant blessing with the people and opportunities we have. And it's just really hard, you guys, to, to get away from the example that we are given um, within the early church, uh, within the book of Acts, for example. Um, the example we see from the church as it was first forming after Pentecost and after the conversion of several thousand people, um, it's really hard to get away from the example that's set, that's laid out for us, the mindset they had toward one another, how they treated each other, how they covered um, disparity amongst one another, the unity that they had, the needs that they met, and, and so on and so forth. And so, uh, you know, again, in, in considering today um, and what we're talking about, I think we have to revisit this, and so that's what we're going to do on some level. Um, we're not just going to be an axe, but um, I, I want to really try to um, focus there in terms of how the early church um, was and where we've come since then and how we can um, rectify some of the, um, uh, some of the, I don't know how you put it, lack of intimacy that they showed versus where we are now. So I just want to read um, from a couple different um, spots to begin here in Acts 2 and in Acts 4, and it says at the end of both of these chapters, in Acts 2 first, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and with generosity, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And at the end of that, uh, chapter 4, all the believers, once more, this is the same message, all the believers were united in heart and in mind. I like that. And they felt that they own, what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles who would give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus, and he sold a field he owned and brought money to the apostles. So again, I know that we, that I, have made reference um, to this earlier in the year. Disparity, as we were talking about back in whatever month, March or May or whatever pre-COVID time we used to exist in, um, disparity had no place in the early church. And in Acts here, we see, we see that. We see that being played out. We see the testimony of the early believers not allowing for that to exist. And so um, I know that that's a rehash, right? That's a rehash. But again, I want to focus on the example that's set. In the early chapters of Acts, uh, and the actions of the Christians of selling their goods and meeting the needs of other believers proved in a tangible way that the reality proved in a tangible way the reality of their of their of their faith and the strength of their bond, their unity, their intimacy with one another, their perspective that uh, this infant community of believers had is highlighted by Luke, the author of the book of Acts. It's highlighted by him when he says all the believers were united in heart and mind. They were like-minded. They felt that what they owned was not their own, and so they shared everything that they had. So I'm not here today to, you know, to form some sort of rebuttal that this passage somehow supports communism, or I'm not here today to... Um, remind you that, or encourage you, or say that there's some sort of command that y'all need to go sell everything you have, and you know, you can't own a home, or something like that, um, just as I didn't do that, and that wasn't my intention earlier in the year. Um, and I think that scripture <laughs> defends itself quite well to the naysayers that would want to say that, or suggest that. All I need to do is read it, but believers still had ownership of things, right? They still had, had um, the the role of stewards. They still had blessings that they um, had to manage and had to consider how to use in a useful way. Um, they, they weren't under compulsion by any authority. They weren't under compulsion by, by you know, uh, any, any worldly thing. They weren't in compulsion to uh, forfeit what they had. So this is, not a, this is not a counter argument to that. But they were compelled they were compelled. Remember, this is directly after the Spirit descends on them into Pentecost. They were compelled in this, in this new community that they had to, to take up a new mindset for how it is that they used what they had, 
how they use their blessings for the benefit of those um, within their new covenantal community that they were entering into. Uh, these blessings, they thought, they weren't uh, simply for them to enjoy alone. I think last week, I think it was last week, uh, you know, I made a joke about Scrooge McDucking, what you have. They, they weren't um, hoarding what they had and counting what they had, um, but they, they were there for them to share. And they were compelled to do that, share with others who were in need, a, a tangible means of expressing love and unity within the body because of this new transformative power that Christ was ushering into their lives. And the management and the distribution of blessings and resources, um, it didn't stop there either. It's, it's spoken of throughout, um, throughout the New Testament, throughout the book of Acts. It's spoken of and, and, um, you know, and implied in Paul's writings to different people, to different churches. And so the management and distribution of blessings is not solely in, in, in Acts. And, you know, and we don't, we're not... We're not um, isolating that and forming some sort of life-changing thing off of one, one um, paragraph in Scripture, right? But it's a consistent message we see. It's a consistent mindset, mentality, uh, intimacy that we see throughout um, the New Testament. In Acts 11, it says, During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that, our, that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. And this was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. And so the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. They did, this they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it says, Now regarding your question about the money being collected for, the, for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there, and then try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver the gifts to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, for me to go along, they can travel with me. So we see that not only did they have, you know, a renewed mindset for what it is that they um, how it is that they used what they had and provided for others with what they had, but we see it being um, encouraged to be forward-thinking in that, too. You know, it wasn't to be uh, a reactionary kind of thing, you know? It was to be forward-thinking. Paul's encouraging them, set it aside week by week because you know that there's people in need. And so it wasn't out of some sort of reactionary compulsion or, a, you know, a guilt thing or something. Paul's encouraging them to Think ahead, think of these people that you know are in need so that when I come by, it's ready to go. This gift, this, the, what you have can be, can be taken. And there wasn't just a focus we see through, through these types of scriptures. There wasn't just a focus on the local body as it pertained to their covenantal relationships. They were often encouraged, possibly even rebuked, um, I think I'd safely say that, to consider the church here, and the brothers in need there. So there wasn't just a focus within individual bodies to provide, right? There was a encouragement and a, a rebuke even to consider the larger church, to consider the greater community of believers and how it is that we can lend ourselves to these people, to these relationships that um, we should have. 
And so we see a consistent struggle from that first century church within the New Testament, as it says, says here in Acts 11 and 1 Corinthians chapter 16, a consi consistent struggle for them to uh, consider the greater community, not just their own, not just in their own um, bubble, you know, to practice, you know, whatever faith means to them. Uh, one of the more eye-opening experiences, I think, that we've seen um, in the last couple years as, as we have here at Aletheia sought to reach out and reach up as a body, quite frankly, maybe one of like a, uh, a seminal experience for our mission now at ABF is just how disconnected communities of believers are from one another. Um, you know, credit to people like... Um, Heidi and Josh and Jasmine and, and some others who you know have leaded the, who have led the charge and you know figuring out this this mission field, but um, it's really shed a light on how far the church, the church, the, the greater community of believers, not just Aletheia, but how far the church has sort of regressed in terms of how they think of one another and how they lend themselves to one another in in pro, in provision. There's a real sense that every community of believers is their own, as I said, in their own bubble. They're their own island. Um, and the island will, you know, sustain itself for as long as it can. And that could mean decades. That could mean a couple years, whatever. But um, when it can't sustain itself anymore, when it can't provide for it, the, its own needs, when it can't pr provide for the needs of its people, uh, it just dies. And that's it. And that's seen as... Uh, that's sort of accepted, you know? It's just accepted for, for what it is, you know? That's just the way things are. I think that there's a, real, there's a real regression in terms of what we see now versus what we saw from the early church and how it is that we provide for each other and how it is that we think about the relationships, um, th those covenantal relationships. If the unity of the local body is demonstrated by how it is that they provided for one another, shouldn't we even more so have the same level of consideration and of usefulness to this larger community of God's people like we see here in the, the, in the New Testament church? <clears throat> there's got to be things uh, we have here individually. There's got to be things we have and can offer as a body in terms of what we've been blessed with. Um, that we can and should offer to other communities of believers, and vice versa. There's got to be things that other people have that can benefit us, that can benefit our body, that can benefit the work we're doing, that can meet the need of someone. Um, so it's, it's, it's both ways, you know? It's not just one way. In order to be useful for God, useful for God's people, useful stewards. The Philippian church is a great example of those who really desired to help uh, Paul, for example, um, in a tangible way in his ministry of, you know, of, of traveling out, of proclaiming and spreading the gospel. In the, in the beginning of chapter one of Philippians, it says, for you have been, this is Paul writing, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And he says in chapter 4, you know you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. 
I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. And he says in chapter 2 as well, Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him back because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard when that you heard he was ill, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me. And he says, So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried. Welcome him. Welcome him in the Lord's love with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. This Philippian church is a good example because their, their stewardship and their usefulness extended to Paul in, in, material, um, in a material way, right? He talks about how they were the only ones that want to wanted to financially provide for Paul and the work he was doing and, and taking care of his needs so that he can do that work. But it also talks about how they sent someone to be a partner with him, someone to soldier with him, someone, a brother in arms to do the ministry and work of God. So their, their, their useful stewardship wasn't confined to um, one way of thinking, right? They were trying to think of everything they had, everything that they can offer, what individuals could offer, you know, what they could offer as a body. And, you know, for us today, we're trying to implement this. You know, it's, it's, it's in the works, but it's, it's tough. It's tough to talk to other churches in this way and to um, sort of change the mindset, you know. It's a mindset that's been absent for however many years. I'm not sure. So it takes rewiring the way that we think of each other, how we implement, implement our shared identity in Christ in a meaningful way that can be a testimony to many, you know, and it's, it's a mindset that it's hard enough to just change it within a local body, right, to, to get, to get a, a, a local community of believers, 50 or 100 or however big your local body is, it's hard enough to, to change that mindset within that, that, you know, bubble, let alone how you can you know, speak that into the larger community of God's people. But that's the exact example we see here in the first century church. Using all that they had in resources, the, the full spectrum of what they had, finance, people, and skill, talents for the good of God, for the, for, the, for the provision of his people to meet the needs locally and outside the confines of their, well, they weren't really walls because they didn't have like churches then, you know, they met in homes and stuff, but outside of the confines of their, their local communities, you know, they had a mindset to the larger community. And there's a couple things to note within, within the context, too, within that context that we're talking about, within Paul. The Apostle Paul had no reservations about making the needs of others known, and I think that that's also a, uh, a far cry from where we see ourselves today. A couple times in the last couple months, we highlighted Paul's appeal to the Corinthian church uh, in chapters uh, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you recall, when he's talking about, um, he's, he's, this is where perhaps he's rebuking them, but encouraging them, if you want to put it in a positive way, to, um, to 
just regain where, where they once were, how they once felt for the other church in need. We're talking about Jerusalem, the needs that they had there. So uh, he's not afraid to make the appeals of others known. And we even see him often name drop people, you know, name drop people when he feels like he should, you know, and I just cited Epaphroditus and how they should receive Epaphroditus back to him because of the work he was doing. He talks about Phoebe and Zenos and Apollos, for example, um, in, in Romans 12 and in Titus 3, um, respectively. He says in Romans 12, I commend, you to, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is the deacon in the church of Centria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Remember when we talked about, um, when we talked, we were in the biological community, we talked about honoring, right? We were talking about honoring uh, widows, I think it was. Um, this word honor, you know, it, it wasn't sort of a, an ethereal idea, but it had a tangible expression. And here, it's in the context of taking care of this woman who, who did, uh, you know, special work for God and, and with Paul. Help her in whatever she needs. Welcome her with the honor, with worthy, worthy of the honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs. She has been helpful to many and especially to me. And he says in Titus 3, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos with their trip, since they are, since they see that they, sorry, see that they are given everything they need. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. So Paul considers it a matter of our productivity, how we treat each other, how we receive each other, how we provide for each other with what we can, with what we have. He'll mention in. Uh, Philemon, as he's writing to Philemon, for example, you know, Philemon opened up his house uh, for, for the community of believers. He, he offered that. He used that blessing for the good of those people so that they can gather and worship and learn about who Christ was. And he commends him for it in Philemon. And although that Paul was never ashamed to appeal for the needs of, of other people, he never took the opportunity to appeal for the needs uh, of himself. You know, but he does make mention of how he you know, is entitled to do that, how he's within his rights to do that because of what he's doing and how we should treat those people that are you know, reserving themselves in a special work for, for, for Christ and the spreading of the gospel and so on and so forth. He didn't solicit um, the things he received you know, as he was traveling on his missionary journeys and stuff. He didn't solicit those things even if he did humbly accept them from the different churches um, and the provisions that they um, were providing, you know, how they were using their blessings. He didn't solicit that. What we see in, in the New Testament is that the church was the vehicle. The church was the vehicle for providing uh, for those covenantal relationships in a meaningful way, using and sharing every blessing that was had to meet needs, to help those in need, for the people's well-being and for the spreading of the gospel. And that's, of course, and again, that's the, a, a key point we should take away from um, today and from this month that I want to impart on you. When we think about being useful stewards of our blessings, are we thinking about being useful for the good of the gospel, for the good of God's people, the testimony and reflection that that will be for people, you know, how we interact within 
each of these communities, how we interact as fellow believers, will that be a testimony? How we provide for fellow believers, will that be a testimony for who God is, you know, and the work he's had in your life and how he's transformed the way that you think and the way that you interact and the way that you love? Is ministry a priority for you as you consider what you have and what you use. Colin, this is not me doing my questions at the end here, so don't worry about it. Um, is ministry a priority for you as you consider what you have and as you consider what you use, what you offer to this community, to the covenantal community, to the church, uh, to put it in real practical purposes for us here? We have things like the Vigilance Radio Network. Right now, we're working on this big gray thing in front of me, which I you're watching online, you can't see this big gray construct. It's a big old block in our back of our sanctuary that will eventually be a studio for where the Vigilance Radio Network hosts our podcasts and different events that we hold and um, th these, these um, outputs for, for ministry. We have the cadre. You know, I think about the work that we did, again, at the infancy of coronavirus, it seems like forever ago, but the work we did down in the cadre room to better suit the needs and better provide a space for um, the kids that we are, you know, called to, the kids that we are raising up, both inside the body and kids that are coming in from outside of the body. Are you f giving freely to these key areas of ministry we have here at Aletheia? Uh, Again, this, this, you know, our, our podcasts, for example, we consider that to be a key output of ministry here at Aletheia. That's one of, one of our more successful things where people from the outside, non-believers and believers, for that matter, are hearing what we're doing, seeing what we're doing, listening to what we have to say, and, with, and, and putting everything in, in the context of, of God and who we're called to be. Whatever podcast that may be, whatever panel discussion we have, you know, through that, um, are you supporting this, this key area of ministry within your local church? Are you anxious to support these ministries financially to provide for those people? Are you anxious to support to these ministries with some skill that you have to offer, to support them with your time? Even if you don't know what you have to offer, you know you have time. Are you anxious to support with your time? Are you managing whatever you have in a useful way toward these things? Are you anxious to support each other in, in this work and in these goals? United in mind. Like-mindedness is the word used. Um, it's also used in Peter, I believe. Or do you sort of keep yourself reserved? That's the, that's the reflection part, challenge for you guys. Yeah, I like what you're doing, you know? I like what you're doing, it's really cool, but I don't really want any part of it, you know? I don't wanna actively involve myself. I like it, but I'll only uh, freely give a little, whatever that means. Meant to be ironic, that's a little bit of a joke. Um, what, what is that, you know? I'll only freely give a little. Are you freely giving all of what you have in blessing to these, to these ministries, to these people, and how you, you input yourself into these communities. The elders have a specific calling to this, of course, but do you guys share that burden as well? 
I think what we see in scripture from the early church is that the people were actively involved. And I can reasonably assume that they had an intimate knowledge of what was needed. That's what it says in Acts, you know? They knew what was needed, and so they offered what they had to meet those needs. What they could give them of themselves individually and as a community. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> when Josh, for example, we were celebrating... Uh, we were celebrating and honoring and appreciating our senior elder here just a couple days ago. Uh, his works and his service to the body and, you know, his forward-thinkingness. Um, and we were taking time to, you know, share with him, you know, our appreciation for who he has been and who he is um, for this body, for this, for this community of believers and uh, for, for God. But... You know, I ask myself when, jo when Josh throws out there uh, that he, and admittedly, this is, you know, this shakes things up. And, you know, I think that's part of why he does it. But uh, when Josh throws out there that he thinks there might be a future in which we aren't held up here in the confines of these walls um, in this building, but are instead uh, he sees a future where we're going out and serving people in a different way, like the first century church where we're providing for people in a different way with what we have, like the first century church, you know, sort of frontline style um, for God and providing people a meaningful and articulate knowledge of who God is and of who Christ is. When he throws that out there, you know, are, are we shuddering at that, you know? Does it, does it make us flinch because it challenges our comfortability? Are we summarily rejecting that idea because it upsets, you know, status quo or something? Something to consider. I'm not saying that that's right or that's where God is calling us. Not saying that right now. Could be. Are you willing to, to follow that? Something to consider. Something for myself to consider because, admittedly, I'm one of those people who, whoa, that's crazy. But it is thinking like the first century church thought when it comes to how we minister and provide for people. So something to consider, I think. Stewardship, guys, being useful with what we're given within our covenantal relationships is another expression of our worship. I think I touched on that in week one. And in addition, and as a, as a consequence of that, it meets very real needs for people. People who are in need and people who we share an identity with. And that should have a meaningful, um, that should evoke a meaningful response from us. When we share an identity in Christ with people, there should be action in that. The gift, the Christians of Antioch met, when they met the physical needs of the Judean saints during that famine, you know, 1 Corinthians 16, Acts 11, uh, it was a tangible expression of the unity of the body of Christ, which encompassed Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, people with blessed with a lot could give a lot, people that maybe didn't have a lot. It encompassed the spectrum. The way we provide for each other is a witness to the very large group of people who don't yet identify with Christ. And we spoke about it a little bit, a little bit last time in my cell group, for example, um, when, you are a, when you are the way you are because of Christ, when you, when you treat others the way you do, when you provide for others the way you do, um, when you sacrifice much of what you have for, for the benefit of others, the world looks at that and says, whoa, crazy, you are a fool. 
Why are you doing that? But we should view that as an opportunity to bridge the gap for them, to share Christ as our motivation for that and why we take care of these people that we are surrounding ourselves with day in and day out. Try to put yourself back to the time when you first started to come to church, to, you know, this community of people. Things were different, you know. Relationships looked different. People treated each other different. Um, People treated each other with a love that was foreign to you. I imagine it made some sort of impact. Otherwise, y'all aren't here, you know. The way we think about what we have and how we can marry that to the church and freely give of it for the benefit of God will strengthen our relationships in that way. That, you know, revolutionary thing you walked into however many years ago, you know, not all of us were raised in the church, but when we came to God, when we came to the believers, that stems from somewhere and something. You know, it's not for no reason. It's not an arbitrarily um, motivated treatment of each other. It says in Acts 4, all the believers were united in heart and in mind. This example... This example here should motivate how we steward what God has entrusted to us, being useful and vigilant for God and how and in what it is that we sacrifice, which is the greater theme of our five-year plan, right? Recall the point made at the beginning of the year. There should be a renewed mindset when we think about sacrifice and that we no longer consider it like loss, Right? as a, a, negative, uh, a negative connotation attached to the word. You know, we no longer consider it lo- loss, but we consider it useful service to God. Sacrifice is useful service, stemming from the heart and manifested in reality. Usefully serving God with our blessings within each of these communities that we're placed in, biological, relational, and the covenantal church. So I have some final questions for you guys as I, you know, cede the floor um, and as we reflect on what we're learning um, this month, what we're talking about today. Here we go, Colin. What more could you be doing to invest in your covenantal community as a basic question to start? What more could you be doing to invest in your church, to invest in the church? the community of believers, the great community of believers. How do, you, how do you start by the way that you invest within your local community? <clears throat> how can we better be better as a body at supporting the greater community of God's people? Can you think of something more that we can, that we should be offering? As I said, we're trying to move in that direction as a body, as, as Aletheia, Right? We're trying to encourage other bodies to do the same thing. We're trying to create a network where we can give and exchange things freely, services, people, you know, uh, uh, trades, you know, these different things, you know. Colin should be able to be called on as an electrician to a church that needs electrical work. Hush, hush on that. (laughs) There's no doubt laws (laughs) forbidding that. (laughs) But my point should be taken. You know, uh, John, insurance man, should be an advisor to someone who needs advice on health insurance, and so on and so on. LU should be able to roll that Delta Glass van up to 
someone who needs his help, you know? And we should expect the same thing from other, other churches. We're trying to create a network, but is there more that we can be doing toward that end is the question. Are there people, are there churches you know that can use some blessing that we have, that you have as an, in, as an individual even? <clears throat> Another question. When there is a need present, are you exhausting yourself for how you and how we can meet that need? Do you give that, do you cede the floor to others? Or do you, you know, do you labor over that? Do you exhaust yourselves for how you can be a part of that provision? Because you have something, or you know someone that has something. At ABF, is there an attitude of appealing to each other when there is a need? What do you think? Where are you at in that? When there is work present, are you anxious to jump in and offer whatever you can with whatever you have? Or are you the one who freely gives only a little? Again, it's ironic and it's meant to be. Another question, if using what God has given us, if using what God has given us is a tangible expression of our unity, you know, uh, a tangible, we can, we can feel it, touch it, taste it, smell it, see it, observe it, <clears throat> is an exp if it's an, a tangible expression of our unity, how invested can you say you are based on how you've, you know, played a role in that, how you've given to that, how you've participated in that tangible expression? Is there more that you can be doing to align yourself with the heart and mind, as it says in Acts 11, of your covenantal relationships? Is there more that you can be doing to align yourselves with the heart and mind in your covenantal relationships? And lastly, I know it's a lot of questions, but you know, I'll give you guys lots to ponder and you know, pick of the litter. What links, what links do you really go to for your communities? And that's it. Those are my questions for you guys this week as you ponder your investment, your stewardship over what you have and investing those things and making use of those things for your covenantal community. Next week, we'll be calling. Uh, thank you guys for your time and patience and uh, reflection. Let's go discuss.